Good morning, Grace Church. How are you doing today? Awesome. We're glad you're here. So I am so excited about today. I uh, hope you are too. The Apostle Paul is an amazing, passionate character uh, that we see in the New Testament. And when you get to know him, you fall in love with him. You really will. You begin to see him from a different light. Oftentimes I hear people say, you know, I don't really like the Apostle Paul. And they're, what, they're, what they mean by that is he writes some very hard things to us, you know, things that are hard for us sometimes to understand and hear. But uh, when you understand who he is and why he writes them and you see his passion, I'm going to tell you, you'll see him in a very different light. So let's just pray and ask the Lord to really work in our lives today. Father, I just thank you for everyone here. Thank you, Father, for those that are watching online. And I pray, God, that your spirit will, God, really take my words and use them for your honor and for your glory, God, I pray intently, God, that you would, that you would uh, speak to every heart here. Now, as every, every head is bowed, every eye closed, I want to just ask you a question. How many of you all would admit today that you came in with a kind of under duress, just uh, maybe a, a little off? Just raise your hand really quick. Maybe even distressed. Raise your hand. Just keep them up. I want to pray for you. So, Father, today, as I, pr- as I pray for those, God, that have got their hands raised, I pray, God, that you'll inspire them with this story, God. I pray that when they walk out of here today that they will see that they're part of a story that you're writing even in the midst of their distress, God, that they are in your story. So, God, give us that, that ability to c- communicate that clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. So before I get into the life of the Apostle Paul, I want to take you back to Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1. And just kind of engage a little bit with this text and, and help you understand a little bit about what this text has to say. Hebrews 12:1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to their life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. So I want to point a couple of things out about this particular verse that are so important for you and I to understand. First of all, uh, this verse starts with the word therefore. So therefore is tied to everything previous to that. So you all know that when the original Bible was written, it didn't have chapters and verses. This was just one run-on book, and uh, it was a letter. And so there wasn't a division between chapter 11 and chapter 12. So therefore, words became very important to determine how you kind of divided it and sliced it. So when you see therefore, what you need to understand is that this is tied to the thought previous to it. So chapter number 11 is all about faith. It's the Hall of Faith chapter. So chapter 12 is tied to that. So the author of Hebrews says, therefore, let's... Put aside all, this, all these weights that slow us down, and especially the sin that so easily besets all of us, catches us, catches us off guard. So what is the sin? It, the author had something in mind. Because I know that because it, it is, it, there's a definite article in front of it, so this is a particular sin the author, author had in mind. So that sin, in my, in my opinion, is the idea of getting slipped up and learning or going down a slippery slope and finding myself without faith inside of my life, of losing sight of Jesus, of losing sight of the power of God in my life, of losing sight of what God is doing inside of me. So the author of Hebrews says, 
that I need to be very careful of that. And the reason for that is because I am surrounded by so great a crowd of, cloud of witnesses. In other words, I stand on the legacy of other players, the people that have gone before me. The reason that I can sit in this auditorium today or stand in this auditorium today is because Paul and others paved the way for me. So I don't have this independent faith. My faith stands on their faith. It's been passed to me, just like it's been passed to you. So I have an obligation to recognize that Christianity, listen to this, is not all about me. It's about the story that God is telling in his people, with his people, for his people, by his people. And it is such a compelling and compassionate story. It is amazing. So therefore, what you've got to do as God's people is to recognize that I have a responsibility to finish this race well. I have a responsibility to make sure that I finish well. And so we're going to look at the life of the Apostle Paul and see whether or not, see how he finished the race. And uh, I think you will be fascinated by a couple things here today, but uh, I, I hope that's true. I think there are four chapters to Paul's life. So let me step back and just kind of introduce four chapters to Paul's life. First of all, uh, there was before his conversion, Paul was a Christian hater, a Christ hater. He was, listen to me carefully, he was a terrorist. That's who Paul was. He was somebody who went around and took women and children and other people and adults out of their homes, and his purpose was to kill them. And so in our culture and our time, and, and by the way, when Paul got saved, when Paul came to Christ, the, he wasn't naturally just accepted because they were afraid of him. It would be like, you know, having... Osama bin Laden, come over to your house for dinner. I mean, come on now. We would probably wouldn't want to have that happen. And that's the kind of thinking that was there. there was, this was, people were very afraid of Paul because he was there at the death of Stephen. Remember Stephen? And how they stoned him to death? Paul was there consenting unto his death. And then he went and got these, these letters from the high priest so that he could go out and he could root out Christianity. His purpose was to take people like you and me and not just ridicule our faith, destroy our faith, and actually kill us. That's, who, that's what he was doing. So that's the first chapter of his life as we are introduced to this guy in the New Testament. And then as it transitions, Paul, Paul now is on his road to Damascus. And, uh, and his purpose was to go to Damascus, find Christians just like you and me, and execute them because they were enemies of the Roman government. So on his road to Damascus, Paul had this encounter that blew him off of his animal, blew him right, just steadfast on the ground, blinded him for three days, and so he had this encounter with Jesus. Jesus intercepts Paul on his road to Damascus and blinds him and ta starts talking to him and say, Paul, what in the heck are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? What did I ever do to you? Hey, that's extra, but, you know, he, but that's the implication. Paul, why are you doing this? Why, why are you doing this? So Paul was instructed to go to, to uh, you know, down the road, and he would go into a certain household, and in that household he would be given further instruction. Paul then becomes a Christian, and uh, he, it's just this amazing story of conversion. And everybody, when Paul was converted, took a step back and said, how could God save a person like that? That's what their response would be. How could, how could God ever save a person like that? 
So that's act number two. Act number three in Paul's life, he goes out to the desert, spends three years out in the desert, comes back, he begins to, he begins to prove himself as a faithful follower of Jesus, putting his life on the line for Jesus every day. He goes on missions, actually takes three mission trips, plants churches all over Asia Minor, and then goes back and, and uh, encourages the churches. And so what we have here is this guy who is now living a passionate, spirit-filled, powerful life on purpose for Jesus. And then his finish. That's the last chapter of the book of Acts. His finish is that Paul is arrested for his faith, and he is uh, put into prison, and eventually he is, we find, we find his, the end of the book of Acts that he's under house arrest and he's teaching the Bible faithfully right to the end. Now we talk about, let me just talk to you about a little bit of tradition. Tradition says that Paul was released from that imprisonment, went out for a couple years, preached the gospel more, was rearrested, and when he was rearrested, he was executed. That was his finish. But here's what I want you to understand. Right to the very end, Paul the apostle did exactly what God wanted him to do. Now, what I want to do with us today, that's the story of Paul. Now I want to talk about just a couple things, two or three things that we learned from his life that are, we can take right into the 21st century, right into the school I go to, right into my business, right into my home. This is what I can take out of this auditorium today, put in my life, and I can, and I can start living on that. First principle that I want you to see is that God can save anyone. Isn't that true? God can save anyone. God can save anyone. God can save you. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, but you don't know my story. I just told you Paul's story. He was a murderer. And I'm telling you, he, was a, he wasn't just a murderer. He was a terrorist. And God saved the apostle Paul. So first of all, I want to address those of you among us that haven't crossed that line of faith and you're thinking, but wait a second, can God forgive all of my sins? I want to assure you that the blood of Jesus shed on the cross is able and sufficient to cover every sin that you have ever committed, and you could give your life today to Jesus. You could do that today, and he would save you. So let me show you a verse of Scripture. It's found in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. It says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, whoever. That means you. You could write your name into that verse. That means if you were to call upon the name of the Lord today, believe that you are a sinner, believe that Christ died for you, that you could have eternal life, and that's what it means to be saved, that you could have eternal life. So you could be saved. The second thought is, is that God can save the worst family member you have. God can save the worst of your friends, right? I mean, there are some people that you probably look at in life and go, God's probably not going to save that person, right? Hello, out there? Let's just be honest with, it, with this. Is there somebody that you've given up on? Maybe you prayed for it early on and you prayed and prayed and prayed and nothing's happened and you've just given up. Anybody like that? Just raise your hand. Raise, come on now. This is church. Raise your hand. You've probably given up on a few along the way. My dad was 78 when he came to faith. And I was 23 when I got saved. And from 23 to about the time that I was in my mid-50s, I prayed for that guy every day, and I have to admit something to you. I prayed for him, but I just somehow thought that, somehow thought that he, this wasn't going to happen. 
kind of given up, kind of, kind of given up on it. And God just convicted me, and I started praying again. My dad at 78 comes to faith. My brother, who's also a pastor, I don't know if you knew that. I have a brother who's a pastor. I'm a little better than he is, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not. He watches my podcast, so it's just a way for me to dig at him, you know. Yeah, he's a pastor. He's a pastor in a church back in Pennsylvania. And so, you know, my brother baptized him, and, and uh, a glorious story of how God, I mean, I didn't think my dad would ever come to faith. And you probably have people just like that in your life. And you're not, you're not too bad to save, and nobody around you. God loves and delights in saving people that are far from God, that the, that the world casts out. In fact, isn't that the premise of garage sales? The premise of garage sales is simply this, is if you have junk in your house and you decide, I'm going to make some money off my junk, I come by your house, I happen to see a piece of your junk, and I think, for 25 cents, I could make that my junk. <laughs> right? And so I put a quarter down, and we negotiate down a, a dime. We make the deal. And uh, I take this treasure home that when I get, my, get it home, my wife goes, what did you get that for? <laughs> but it's my treasure. It's not her treasure. It's my treasure. Leave me alone, all right? It's my treasure. And that's exactly what God does for you. By the way, just so you all know this, all of us eventually will be thrown away. And here's how I know that. Everybody here is going to end up in the grave. No exceptions. You're all going to die. I didn't mean to be a downer here. I don't mean to be a downer here. You're all going to die. Some of you are going to get incinerated and, you know, turn into ashes, and the other are going to be put in a box, you know, this dark box, and put into this deep hole and and at the end, you know, some of your family might come to see you for a while, but eventually they'll just forget you. I'm just, I'm here to tell you the truth. I'm just, I am. They're just going to forget you and because uh, they've got busy lives and, you know, and they've too, they're too busy on Facebook to come to the graveside. So I'm sorry, that, didn't, that just slipped out. That just slipped out. So my point is, is that God delights in taking throwaways and makes, makes him his treasure. Song we just sang, I know who I am. That's amazing truth. I am who God says I am. Because he delights in taking that which is cast away and making it his treasure for all eternity. It's just this glorious story. I, I was on a flight recently, and uh, it was one of those Southwest flights, and sometimes the, uh, the people that do the announcements you know, do it in a humorous way. And so they did all these announcements. And at the last, they said, I was just, you know, I was on my cell phone, to be honest with you. But what they said at the last kind of caught my attention because, you know, I'm the kind of flyer that I've flown so many times that I just kind of tune them out. You know what I mean? When they're going through their spiel. I, anybody else like that? It's kind of tune them out. So this, this stewardess says, uh, she says, to those of you who listen, thank you. To those of you who ignore us, uh, good luck. So if you're tuning me out, I'm saying, God bless you. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. God delights in saving people. He wants to save you. He wants to save your friends. He wants to save the people that you doubt that could be saved. And he wants to do it for his own glory and for his own purpose. At, at the height of his world fame, there was this rock musician in my generation called uh, Alice Cooper. Anybody remember who he was? There's a picture of him up there, right there. That's Alice Cooper. And Alice Cooper... Uh, at the height of his career, drank about a bottle of whiskey every day. And uh, it was destroying his marriage. He'd been married for 25 years or so. 
and it was destroying his marriage, and his wife had found Christ, and she was going to church every weekend, and so finally he's decided that he was just going to follow her to church. He started to follow her to church and sat in, in the pew just like one of these seats, and he listened and he listened and listened, and eventually Alice Cooper gave his life to Jesus Christ. And, of course, the whole world in my generation said, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. And then he lived it out. He lived it out. And this is what he said. This was interesting. He said, you know, I went back to all my rocker friends and uh, started talking to them about Jesus, talking about what Jesus could do in their life. And uh, the interesting thing is, is the people that I thought would be really receptive just tuned me out. And the people that I thought were too far gone that they would never listen are actually the ones that showed interest and actually some of them came to faith. I mean, that's the nature of it. You know, I look at that guy and I'm going, really, God, you saved him? You saved, I mean, I, you know, in my generation, I would have never thought, I would have never thought that that guy, that guy would ever have come to Jesus. But the truth is, is that God delights in doing those kinds of things. So what I learned from Paul is that Paul, uh, if Paul can be saved, anybody can be saved. And maybe what you need to do is just take a moment and re-energize yourself today. And if you don't know Jesus, maybe today would be a great day for you to say yes to him. And if there's somebody that you've given up on, let me just give you a, you know, a sharp jab to the ribs and say, hello, God can save your deepest friends, your darkest friends. God can save anybody. The second thing that I, isn't that amazing truth? That is amazing truth, right? It's amazing truth. The second thing, yeah, thanks, Mom. The second, <laughs> the second thing that I would say that I learned from the Apostle Paul is anyone can share Jesus. Anyone can share Jesus. Let me show you that uh, uh, the last record in the New Testament that we know of what Paul was doing at the end of his story. This is Paul the terrorist, now become a Christian, now goes on missions, now is at the end of his life. He's waiting his execution. And uh, it says in Acts 28, 30, it says, he lived there, three, er, there two whole years at his own expense under house arrest and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without without hindrance. Here he was at the end. This is the end. With nobody looking, in jail, could have been feeling sorry for himself, but he wasn't. He was inviting and welcoming people and, and sharing, and sharing his faith with people. And what is fascinating to me is this, is that, let me just ask a question. When is the last time, and this is a rhetorical question, just answer it to your own, in your own heart. When is the last time you shared your faith with anyone? When is the last time? Because in our culture, listen to me carefully, in our culture, we're told not to. That's politically incorrect to share your faith. That's between you and God. That's what people tell us. But the Bible tells us, the Bible shares that we're supposed to be sharing our faith. We're to go into all the nations and preach the gospel. That's what saves people. It is by the preaching of the gospel that people are saved. They don't get saved by osmosis. They, they get saved in relationships. And the truth is the reason most people come to faith is because they have a friend who loves them enough to tell them about Jesus. It's not because they come to church. It's because they have a friend. And so when was the last time you shared your faith with anyone? I mean, that's an interesting question. I don't mean to make, again, I don't want to be a downer, but you've got to deal with these things, right? It's interesting to me that we can share our deepest, darkest secrets on Facebook. You know, just get on there. I, I, you know, some people that I, I follow, you know, I, I get on there, I go, really? <laughs> You're telling us all that? You know, don't you know your pastor is listening to this? 
And, you know, now, this isn't, you know, this isn't a confessional booth. You're, you know, confessing all your sins. I mean, I'm just saying it's not what it is. And, and yet we can share all of that. And then when it comes to just sitting down with somebody over a Starbucks and going, hey, let me tell you what, what God has done in my life. We find ourselves making every excuse in the, in the book not to do that, finding reasons not to share what God has done. And it's not, you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to go to three years of seminary to share your faith. You just need to know a couple of things. You need to know that you're a sinner. Does, do you know that? You need to know that you're a sinner. You need to know that you're separated by your sin from God and that Christ came into the world to die for your sins, and you need to know that God changed your life. And if you just share that, I'm telling you, you, you know, maybe... Maybe ten, nine out of ten people will go, ah, I don't care about that. But what about that one? What about that one that will care about that? And believe on him whom God has sent. So I think we learn from Paul that Paul was ever, always busy about sharing his faith. The second thing that I think we learn about Paul, or from Paul, is that surrender is the key to everything. Surrendering to God is the key to everything. In Romans chapter 12, Verse 1, the Bible says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's surrender, right? To, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What God wants from you, and I'm going to say some very pointed, I don't mean them to be critical things, but here's what I'm going to say. God doesn't want from you for you to raise your hands in worship. He wants for you to surrender your heart in worship. That's what he wants more. Raising the hands, if it's a reflection of the heart, is a wonderful thing to do if it's a reflection of the heart. But if it's not, if it's not a reflection of surrender in your life, it's not really an act of worship. Are you with me? And smile at me so I know you're out there and you're still not Pastor Dan. I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says. So here's the thing is that what God wants, what I learned from Paul, is that what God wants for my life is he wants me to surrender my life. So let me see if I can help you understand what surrender means, because that's a big word. What does it mean to surrender my life to God? Suppose you were trapped in an earthquake. Suppose we had an earthquake today, and God forbid this building would collapse. It won't because there's so much concrete here. Uh, but let's say that you were trapped in concrete. The fire trucks come, and uh, you are trapped in a mound of concrete, and you're still alive, you're, you're okay, you just can't get out. And so the question that you have to ask is, how, how are you going to get out? So a fireman comes on the scene, first responder says, listen, you're okay? If you just do what I tell you to do, I can lead you to safety. Now, you would be the stupidest person on the planet if you said no thanks. I mean, you understand what I mean by that? You'd be the stupidest person on the planet if you were to say, no, I got this. Oh, really? You got this? You're, you're under, you know, 100,000 pounds of concrete. You got this. All right, okay, I guess I don't need, you don't need to listen to me. So here's what I want to suggest surrender is. Surrender is doing what's not instinctive. It's, that's what surrender is. It's doing what's it's, it's not intuitive. It's learning to listen to the Bible and even though I don't understand it, and even though I don't, I don't completely grasp the whole nature of it, it's learning how to act contrary to what is natural to me. That's surrender. So every day, by the way, surrender isn't something I did. 
Surrender is an ongoing process in the Bible, in my life, that I'm, a, I'm daily surrendering to God and uh, just asking God to, to use my life. And, it's, and it's, not, it's not brain surgery. It's just simply going, okay, God, I'm going to do things your way, not mine. And almost always, this is how I know I'm doing things God's way, it's almost always counterintuitive to what I would do. You know, let me give you a couple examples. Giving is counterintuitive, right? You mean I'm supposed to give my money away so I can get your blessings, God? And, you know, that doesn't make any human sense. You understand? It's counterintuitive. You know, I think I would be better off intuitively. I think I would be better off by putting all of my money in a bank and gaining interest off, off of it rather than taking and putting it into the kingdom of God and letting God give me interest off of it. See, it's counterintuitive. Giving is a counterintuitive thing. And that's how it is with most things in our life. When we're walking with Jesus, they're mo mostly counterintuitive in our life. That's the idea of surrender. And I hope you get that. I hope that resonates with you because I believe that your surrender is indeed the level of blessing you're going to get from God. The deeper I surrender to God, the more of a blessed life that I have. And blessed isn't always necessarily happy. It's everything in its proper place. That's really the concept of the peace of God and the blessings of God. So I'm just simply saying to you, listen to me carefully, that what, God, what I learned from the Apostle Paul is that every day my job is to get out of bed and just, and actually before I get out of bed, just say, God, today I want to do what you want me to do, not what's intuitive to me. That's surrender. Are you willing to try that? That's how we walk with Jesus every day. And God reveals us to us what we're supposed to be doing. And I want you to just resonate with that, think about that, and uh, just see where that takes you. So I want to talk about the end now of Paul. Uh, you know, we have just a few minutes left. And so, as I said before, as I, as I introduced Paul to you, Paul was arrested, released, rearrested, re and then he was executed. And so I want you to watch Paul's finish. And then I'm going to come up and just make a couple comments and then... We'll all go home. So watch this. So as you see that, I just want to caution you, don't look at that as a tragedy. That was not a tragedy. That would, you know what a tragedy would be? A tragedy would be simply this. It would be Paul ending up in a retirement center with all of his income saved up in a bank account. That would be a tragedy. Paul chose how to live. As I said earlier, all of us are going to end up in the grave, right? No one can control that, that whatsoever. You can't not be there. But you can, you can control how you live. And you know what I find it fascinating? Even though this is kind of a, a, a story out of tradition, and it's not necessarily exactly how the Bible tells it. You know, they took a little liberty there. But I can only imagine it be true because Paul was a lover of all people. He, did you notice that he embraced his executioner? That's freedom. That's not tragedy. That's freedom, to love your enemies and to live at peace with God. That's the finished life. That's the life that God calls every one of us to finish. Is it doesn't matter how you start. It doesn't matter how you finish. And you are in every bit control of that very thing. 
You can control how you finish this life. And I pray for all of us that we would finish the way Paul finished, that we would finish with a sense of integrity and faith and trust and knowing that the moment, the moment that the last breath that I take happens, I step into glory with Christ and I live forever and ever and ever as a regent with him, as, a, as someone who reigns with him for all eternity. That's the finished life. That's the finished line. And so my encouragement to you is where I began my sermon, I'm going to end it. Therefore, finish the race. Let every weight that hinders you be cast aside, and that sin that causes you to stumble over and over again, that sin of faithlessness, get rid of that. And look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And look at him and watch him. And I'm going to tell you, if you do that, if you do that, you will finish this race well. And my prayer for all of us is that we would, we would cross that line the way Paul crossed it. Loving our enemies, doing good to those who persecute us, and loving people enough to tell them about Jesus. So, Father, thank you for this day. My prayer, God, is that we would take to heart, Father, those that... Um, that are suffering among us, God, and I, I think about them right now, and I pray for those that raised their hand in the service earlier. If you raised your hand in the service earlier saying that you were kind of in a little distress, I want you to look up at me for just a minute as we finish. Just look up at me for just a second. Listen to me very carefully. You're part of a story, and that story isn't finished yet. This is temporary. Whatever you're going through is temporary. God is working in you a far greater work, and if you just focus on that, You'll get, I'm telling you, it will work. I'm telling you. If you'll focus on what God is doing in your life, it will relieve the burden and it will cause you to have joy in your life unspeakable. Father, thank you for that truth. In Jesus' holy name, amen.